This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. We're coming to you today from our mobile studio right here on the streets of Philadelphia at the 2008 AAJ, American Association for Justice Annual Convention, where literally thousands of plaintiff lawyers have convened. And one of those lawyers, Attorney John Lancione, Jr., is our special guest on this edition. And with me today are two of my Ringler colleagues, Mike Casey, Chairman of the Board of Directors and Head of Midwest Operations for Ringler, and Brad Mathers from our Dublin, Ohio office. Mike and Brad, take it away. Thanks, Larry, and hello, everyone. This is Mike Casey in the historic Philadelphia. Seems like a very appropriate place to be having an AAJ convention. I'm proud to say it's our fourth annual time we've uh, broadcasted Ringler Radio from the AAJ conventions. We have a very interesting discussion today. We're going to talk about litigation against pharmaceutical companies and companies that make medical devices in medical malpractice cases. And we have a special guest with us with a great deal of experience in this area. But first, let's bring in my colleague, Brad Mathers, from our Dublin, Ohio office. Brad's responsible for northern Ohio, including Cleveland, and his structured settlement experience is focused in the area of healthcare professional liability. Welcome, Brad. Thanks, Mike. Well, it's no secret that millions of Americans depend on pharmaceutical drugs and medical devices to improve their health and quality of life. Every year, new drugs come to market. Unfortunately, sometimes medications come with side effects. In fact, each year, over a quarter of a million side effects related to prescription drugs are reported. When side effects show that a prescription drug may be more harmful than beneficial, the government can step in and take that drug off the market. However, sometimes drugs go off the market after we learn that they are already causing serious health problems or even death. And many of you may remember back in May when the actor Dennis Quaid told Congress that taking away the right to sue pharmaceutical companies would turn consumers into uninformed and uncompensated lab rats. Quaid emotionally described a near-fatal drug mix-up in which his newborn twins were given a thousand times the appropriate dose of Baxter's blood thinner, heparin, in November at the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. The story made headlines, and as a combination mistake by the hospital staff and by potentially confusing labeling of the drug. Our guest today is attorney John Lancione from the firm Lancione & Lancione in Cleveland. John is an Ohio medical malpractice attorney with over 19 years of legal experience. He is admitted to practice law in Ohio and is a member of the American Association for Justice and the Ohio Association for Justice. In fact, John is the current president of the OAJ. He is invited frequently to lecture on topics of medical malpractice nationally and throughout Ohio. He has testified before the Ohio Senate and House Committees on Medical Malpractice. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Brad. Uh, John, uh, welcome again. And uh, could you give us a little background on your firm and the type of cases that you specialize in? Sure. Our firm specializes in medical malpractice litigation on behalf of healthcare consumers, the patients. And we also deal in uh, pharmaceutical litigation and medical device litigation. That is, cases, uh, uh, injury cases arising from the consumer use of pharmaceutical drugs and medical devices used in uh, health, the healthcare arena. 
Lawsuits against pharmaceutical and medical device companies are on the rise. Can you explain why, John? There are a lot of theories. Uh, The prevailing theory, and the one mainly espoused in litigation, is that uh, obviously drug companies are for-profit companies. uh, Medical device companies are for-profit companies. Uh, Their number one goal is to manufacture safe devices to help the healthcare consumer. Sometimes when there is a rush to get a drug to market or a medical device to market, um, they take short, shortcuts. They, uh, prior to getting the drug approved by the Federal Food and Drug Administration, they have to go through a series of what they call clinical trials. They have to test their drugs prior to marketing on human subjects to look for the health benefit as well as adverse side effects and see what, in what way those drugs are contraindicated with use of other drugs. Um, they're required to report the data that they uh, derive from their clinical trials to the Food and Drug Administration to establish that the drugs are safe. Sometimes the, the information is not accurately reported to the Food and Drug Administration or is intentionally withheld. For example, in Vioxx, um, there, the clinical trials uh, demonstrated there was an inordinately high rate of cardiac events resulting in serious injury or death in patients who were taking Vioxx. That data, it was alleged in the litigation, was not accurately reported to the FDA. Vioxx was marketed. It, it was a multi-billion dollar uh, product for the manufacturer. And as patients started having heart attacks and strokes and dying, the Food and Drug Administration stepped in and mandated that the drug be taken off the market. So the, the thought is and the prevailing view is that when there are shortcuts in the testing process, under-reporting or inaccurate reporting by the manufacturers of the drugs and devices, that's when patients suffer harm. Very interesting. Uh, You know, the Vioxx is probably the litigation that consumers are the most familiar with because it makes a lot of headlines. And uh, it seems like that litigation uh, can be unpredictable. The verdicts are reversed. We hear about the big verdict in and then it's reversed and cases being appealed. What's been your experience with this type of pharmaceutical litigation? When these litigations arise, they typically arise as a result of injury to many, many patients. Uh, and we'll use Vioxx as an example, that was marketed to millions and millions of Americans. So we had a very high number of uh, adverse adverse outcomes with uh, based on patient use. So what happens in that situation is that, uh, the determination is made from a legal perspective that there is a, a right of action, a cause of action, the right to sue for injury result, arising from use of the drug. Then lawyers around the country, including our firm, will... Uh, receive phone calls from patients or family members whose uh, loved ones have suffered harm, and we uh, form litigation groups. We pool our resources together. We pool our knowledge together, and we share in the workload of investigating, working up, and pursuing these cases through the court system. Um, that's typically how most pharmaceutical and medical device cases are handled around the country. It's it's just not one firm. It's It's firms around the country because it's happening on a nationwide basis. So that's how your firm really goes up against these pharmaceutical companies with their heavy-hitting legal teams. Correct. We, the, the, uh, the plaintiff bar in this country, will pool its uh, talent and resources together to fight the multi-billion-dollar drug industry. In fact, uh, currently right now, um, we've had a decision in the U.S. Supreme Court, and maybe I'm getting, getting ahead, but just to deal with Brad's issue, the, the pharmaceutical industry um, right now is spending around $17 million a day on lobbyists right in Washington, D.C., at the, at the U.S. Capitol building to lobby against a bill that would uh, protect consumers and hurt the healthcare companies relative to allowing consumers to seek compensation in court for injury or death arising from use of defective uh, pharmaceutical products. $17 million a day? Yes. 
That's an impact. Uh, zeroing in on pharmaceutical, now we've talked about Vioxx. What are some of the other common drug cases that you deal with? Well, some may not be so common in terms of uh, consumer knowledge. There's a drug called Trazolol, which is a drug used to prevent bleeding in cardiac surgery patients. Uh, they found over time that Trazolol can cause kidney failure in patients, resulting in patients needing to go on dialysis for life or, or need a kidney transplant. We've seen those cases arise Again, that's a situation of, of under-tested, under-reported, and the FDA allowing this drug to go to market. There's another drug um, which is used in, in imaging studies. It's a contrast. Um, that drug also causes very, very horrific adverse consequences in certain pe- people who are susceptible. Um, the drug company that manufactured this drug knew that it caused that reaction in a small subset of people, yet they figured that with the amount of money they're going to make marketing and selling the drug, the amount of money they have to pay for injury would be minimal compared to the profit their company is going to make. There is also litigation involved in that particular product. We've also had uh, cases involving genomycin, which is a little different class of case than your uh, traditional uh, pharmaceutical or medical product case because it's actually a drug that's been approved. They, the FDA and the public and the, well, the medical profession knows of the adverse consequences, yet when it is used improperly or not properly monitored, it can cause very, very bad injuries to the uh, consumer. Uh, Chair Firm, you represent plaintiffs in complex medical malpractice cases, such as the genomycin case you just mentioned. Uh, can you give some background on other cases and other drugs you've worked on? Sure. Um, well, let me, let me tell you a little bit more about the genomycin first, Brad. Um, Genomycin is a, a drug, it's an antibiotic in a class of antibiotics called aminoglycosides. Aminoglycoside drugs like vancomycin, genomycin, tobramycin all have uh, a specific impact on two uh, body functions. One, the kidney system, the renal system. The other is uh, the vestibular system. In your ears and in the sinus system, there are little silica hair that play a role in in providing the people the ability to have balance. You've heard of vertigo. Sure. Um, well, what genomycin can do if given either for too long or in too high a concentration or for the wrong uh, bacteria can cause damage to this vestibular system. Once this damage occurs, it completely wipes out the vestibular system and people are left with permanent vertigo for the rest of their life. It cannot come back. It, it, it kind of just burns it out. And these cases arise when, for example, someone has an infection. Uh, genomycin is, a, is an inexpensive drug compared to the other aminoglycosides and other drugs. What the healthcare professional is required to do when they're treating someone for an infection is to determine the susceptibility and resistance of that bacteria to particular antibiotics. Uh, genomycin is, has a broad range of susceptibility and, and uh, resistance to different bugs. When they find that genomycin can work, but other drugs can work as well, uh, because of cost concerns, the genomycin, which is cheaper, is often used. It's uh, sometimes used in too high concentration or for too long a period of time because even at low concentrations, if genomycin is used longer than 14 days, it dramatically increases the risk of vestibular damage or renal damage. And we're seeing a, a large number of cases in, in the genomycin, more so with respect to the healthcare provider who's not adequately monitoring the patient or not prescribing at the, at the right dosage. And these people are left with a lifelong disability. People that are employed are no longer employable. Uh, people that uh, elderly people working at home uh, need help for uh, life care needs, for taking care of their home, taking care of themselves. They can't navigate stairs. They can't navigate uneven uh, terrain. It's really a debilitating injury. 
So getting the uh, the word out seems to be a big issue here, so people know about these problems. Uh, Dennis Quaid, I talked earlier about his testifying before Congress. You think his uh, celebrity, uh, using his celebrity status, he was able to give an, add a name and a face to the growing problem. Was this a big win for the little guy? Well, I think it was a big win for the healthcare consumer because fortunately, Dennis's children did not have an adverse outcome. They had no adverse health effects from this overdose. Um, and when you when you see someone who wants to do something for the public good rather than for uh, litigation or, or compensation, certainly anybody who's legitimately injured by a medical product that is defective in design or manufacture or marketing uh, should be entitled to go to the court system and prove their case in court. Dennis's situation was that, thank God my children weren't injured, but I want to make a difference for children down the road that this doesn't happen and we uh, require the drug companies to appropriately label, label their bottles so um, healthcare professionals don't make mistakes that could end up with tragic consequences. Great. Let's explore another one of your practice areas, John, medical device litigation. Can you give us a summary of what medical device litigation is? Sure. Medical device litigation are products used in surgery, products used for joint replacement, uh, artificial knees, artificial hips, catheters used in cardiac catheterization and other types of procedures, uh, colonoscopy devices, um, heart defibrillators, um, heart pacemakers, devices that are implanted in the body. Those are medical devices. We've seen uh, litigation in areas, uh, for example, in catheters. The, the catheter is manufactured, a, a catheter for a balloon angioplasty is manufactured defectively. It gets into the market. The product comes right out of the uh, factory in a defective condition. It's put into the marketplace. The physician uses it. And, for example, the, the a type of plastic used is not appropriate. So during the procedure, the catheter tip would break off, remain in the patient's heart, and cause a perforated artery, a fatal bleed, an exsanguinating bleed. It can cause uh, heart damage not resulting in death. Uh, we've seen a, a fair share of that. Knee replacement products, we've seen uh, products made with substandard metals. And after the knee joint is implanted, part of the structure fractures, resulting in damage to the knee, need for replacement. So we've seen a fair share of the medical device products that, that for one reason or another, were uh, defective in design, manufacturer, marketing. In those catheter cases, did you see any uh, where they migrated throughout the body and caused problems there? We see that quite often. The, the migration, you know, catheters used in the vascular system are, are in a system of uh, fluid, your blood, under high pressure from the heart, and, and they do get picked up in the bloodstream and migrate to areas and, and can cause uh, occlusions, arterial occlusions, venous occlusions, which can result in damage to organs. Is there a case that comes to mind when you uh, talk about medical device litigation particularly? The one I see most are probably uh, prosthetic joints that, that fracture or wear out or uh, cause infection. There was a, a large series of cases where a, uh, a lubricating product was used on a knee device and thousands of patients got this, this product with an improper lubricating device which caused very bad outcomes, infections, autoimmune disorders, um, and that resulted in nationwide litigation, uh, multi-district litigation, and a large settlement for the, the victims. Is it true, that, uh, John, that the states have mandatory time limits in which people can file uh, claims against manufacturers of harmful drugs or defective medical devices? Yes. In Ohio, uh, it's a two-year statute of limitations, meaning two years from the time the injury occurs is when the patient must pursue their rights in court. Failure to file a case... Within the statute of limitations is a permanent bar to pursuing your rights. 
There's another type of limitation called a statute of repose. And what that means is the, the legislature will arbitrarily determine a period of time within which you can sue after the product was either manufactured or implanted in the body. For example, if you or I had a knee joint placed in our body today in Ohio, 10 years from today, um, let's the statute of repose is 10 years. So 11 years from today, that product fails. And the prevailing standard is in the community, medical community, is that that product should last 20 years. If it fails after, after 11 because of a defect in manufacturer design, uh, the legislators determine that that cause of action doesn't even exist if it happens longer than 10 years after the manufacturer or implantation of the device. So it's not impossible or might even be expected that someone who has a defective device within them that happens to not have his problem beyond 10 years is not going to be able to make a recovery. That's correct. So it's an absolute law. It's not a matter of when the patient knew or should have known. It's arbitrarily when the device was implanted. That's correct. Okay. That, that statute of repose also exists in, in actual medical malpractice litigation that the legislature has determined after four years from the, the, the care received if an injury results, then you cannot pursue your, your case. For example, if you had a mammogram in 2003 and you discovered breast cancer in 2008 and it was determined the mammogram in 2003 was misread, you have no right to bring your suit for compensation. $17 million a day will buy you something. That's correct. <laughs> well, it's time to take a very short break. And when Mike and Brad return, they'll continue this interesting discussion with attorney John Lancione right here from Philadelphia. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen. And now let's hear more from my colleagues and co-host today, Mike Casey, Chairman of the Board of Ringler, and Brad Mathers from our Dublin, Ohio office. Our special guest today is Attorney John Lancione, Jr. from the firm Lancione & Lancione from Cleveland, Ohio. Hi, welcome back, our Ringler Radio audience. I'm Mike Casey. Uh, we'd like to welcome back my colleague and co-host today, Brad Mathers, out of the Dublin, Ohio and Attorney John Lancione from the Lancione & Lancione Cleveland office in Ohio. Um, what needs to happen, John, with the pharmaceutical and medical device companies to stop them from the side effects from their medications and defects from their devices? I don't know that there's an absolute solution to the problem. I think we need more oversight and, and more strict regulation. We need uh, FDA that is properly funded, properly staffed, 
and we need to take money out of the equation. Um, these are for-profit companies, as I've, stated, as I've stated. They make billions in profits from these drugs. They need to be more adequately tested, more adequately studied, and uh, more adequately regulated by people that know what they're doing. Right now, we're finding that the FDA is is almost purposefully understaffed and underfunded by the current administration. Um, and they just don't have the manpower or the resources to ensure that all these products that are going out are as reasonably safe as possible. And when not litigating pharmaceutical and medical device cases, you're invited frequently to lecture on topics of medical malpractice nationally and throughout Ohio. Can you tell us about some of that? Sure. Um, one of the areas of uh, medical malpractice I specialize in are, are birth-related injuries. Uh, one subclass of birth-related injuries are what's called failure to diagnose fetal distress. Um, that happens during the labor and delivery process when the pregnant woman is uh, delivering the child. There are ways to determine whether the child is adequately uh, compensating and dealing with the stresses of labor. Labor is a stressful situation for the fetus. The uterus is contracting, the placenta is being uh, contr- uh, squeezed and compressed, the, the umbilical cord is being squeezed and compressed, but that's a, a natural state of labor. And fetuses are, are designed to endure that stress of labor. When, when they can't, for whatever reason, uh, the fetal heart monitor can determine whether the baby is undergoing stress to such an extent that they're at risk for suffering neurologic injury or brain, brain injury, which would result in cerebral palsy. We see a, a fairly large number of cases involving that where the healthcare provider, either the nurses, fail to recognize it, fail to uh, inform the doctor, or the doctor fails to recognize it or recognizes it and fails to act on it. Um, the way to prevent this bad outcome is to expeditiously deliver the fetus by C-section to remove the fetus from the hostile intrauterine environment, which is causing the fetal distress. And that uh, is an area in which um, we seek out your services uh, when we have a successful resolution of a case with uh, a large monetary settlement, we need to provide for the care of the child on a lifelong basis. And the structured settlement is uh, really a unique way and I think probably the, the most prudent and safest way to protect a client's assets, assets from the ups and downs of the stock market. Um, and we uh, can obtain, through your assistance and experience, a tax-free rate of return on a lifelong basis that can provide for the care the child needs and their family needs uh, on, to take care of the special needs of these children. You know, the, the cases that we deal with day to day, they're oftentimes tragic stories and heartbreaking stories. But generally speaking, we, we, we have stories also that come up with a happy ending. Have you got any examples of that? Well, I can give you two examples. We um, oftentimes, obviously because of uh, you know, attorney advertising, which our firm does not advertise, but when it, whenever anything potentially bad happens, people call lawyers. Um, what I am happy to see sometimes, and I tell my clients, I'd rather you not have a case and your child uh, recovers or you recover and, you, and you're not left with an impairment. Uh, we see what can be potentially devastating situations and and. At the end of the day, they've recovered completely, and they don't need my services, and, and they go on with a healthy, normal life. Other uh, ways we see happy endings, if you want to consider this a happy ending, is that when, when we undertake a case, we commit uh, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of litigation expenses, out-of-pocket money, to prove our case to the, in, in court and obtain compensation. Um, some of my most proud moments as a lawyer are when I can... Uh, resolve a case for a client, provide them with a lifetime of security, and then I can see the results of that work effort and the uh, benefits of structured settlement. 
Um, I have several clients with uh, children who suffered cerebral palsy during labor and delivery where we've used the funds to build a, a special home for the family that uh, has extra wide doors for wheelchairs, that has a track system throughout the house because the children will never walk, and they can be uh, literally moved around the home in this track system in a, in a, uh, a sling, essentially, from bathroom to bedroom to therapy room. We've built homes for children with an elevator in the house to take the child up and down the basement from the therapy room. And um, when clients send Christmas cards or letters saying, you know, thank you for making our life so much easier, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. And, and that's, those are the happy endings that I like most. I, I, I have a chance to say this uh, now because in our job, probably uh, the best part of it is after someone like you, you or your colleagues have done your job and there is a, a result that's favorable to the plaintiff, and then we get a chance to sit down with mom and dad and, and work out these plans. And that's truly the enjoyable part of our job. So if I got a chance to say thank you for all the work you do because you make our life a lot better by getting putting us in that position. We get a chance to share in that appreciation, um, and it is really a great feeling, very rewarding. What does the future hold for these companies who are physically or mentally affecting the lives of individuals? Do you think litigation against them will cause them to, t- to look more closely at what goes into their products? And is progress really being made, John? I think the only way we can ensure that the companies are going to continue to use the highest standards of care to manufacture safe drugs and devices is to hold them accountable. If there's no financial accountability, if they're not accountable to the people that suffer harm from their products, they have no incentive to make their products any safer. And we're getting into an area of law in the history of our country where our highest court in the land is essentially immunizing these manufacturers from any liability whatsoever and any accountability. Um, we just had the you know, U.S. Supreme Court decide the Regal versus Medtronic case, which held that if the FDA, which is this underfunded, understaffed regulatory agency, approves a particular class of medical device, no matter what harm that medical device causes, people cannot bring suits. They are preempted by uh, Federal federal statute, you, you cannot bring the case in federal court. You can't bring the case in state court. There is no right whatsoever to recover for harm or death caused by these defective medical devices. Uh, what advice would you give an individual out there who's been affected by a pharmaceutical or a medical device company? And what would their uh, next steps be legally? Well, we see a lot of people contact us because they've done research on the Internet. When, when a medical device or drug is causing harm to a large number of people, uh, the only way for them really to know about that is that for is for lawyers to uh, get the word out on the internet that we are representing people uh, that have suffered these these harms from these products, and you should call the lawyer who has a specialty in that area of pharmaceutical uh, drug or medical device, and see if your case uh, fits the fact pattern uh, that would give rise to a, a cause of action and a right to uh, pursue a case for compensation. Well, I agree. The, uh, thank you, John. It seems that uh, the access to the courts is probably one of the last uh, places that the people can go to to get their justice, and we just hope we can keep that access open. I uh, appreciate your being here. Um, uh, John, can you give us uh, the contact information for the people uh, if they want to get a hold of you and your firm? Sure. Our firm name is Lancione Lancione. We're located in Cleveland, Ohio at 200 Public Square, Suite 2900, right in the heart of downtown, and our phone number is 216 216- Six two three four nine four nine, and you can uh, look at our website and look at our experience and successes at www.lancionlaw.com. 
Thank you very much for, for being here with us today. Brad, how about you? Can you give us the contact information for people who need to talk to you? Sure. People can get in touch with me by my toll-free number. Just dial 1-800-743-0474. And finally, of course, you can reach all the Ringler Associates through the Ringler Associates website, www.ringlerassociates.com. Thank you, guys, for being here today. I think it was very informative and helpful information. Thank you. All right. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Well, thanks, Mike and Brad. Great topic today. And a special thanks goes out to Attorney Lancione for joining us here on Ringler Radio from the 2008 AAJ Convention in Philadelphia. Now, I'm Larry Cohen. Thanks for listening. And go out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates Experience Counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.